Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. What makes a great leader? Is it genetic or can you learn leadership skills? Join Tom Fox and Richard Lummis in this podcast, where they consider leadership from a wide variety of perspectives, academic, behavioral science, history, popular culture, the movies, and much more. You'll learn about specific tactics and strategies that you can bring to your own leadership toolkit. 12 O'Clock High is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this part two of our 10-part series on Plutarch's Lives, we take a look at the Greek Solon and the Roman Lipsicola. I know you'll enjoy this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. Hello, this is Richard Lummis, and I'm here with Tom Fox for another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. In these discussions, we draw what we hope are interesting examples from our own experiences, history, business, literature, and politics to examine what constitutes good leadership and extract lessons we can use to improve our own leadership skills. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. Today, we're going to continue our series of based on Plutarch's lives of the noble Grecians and Romans. Uh, today, our, our topic, our subjects are going to be Solon, the lawgiver of Athens, and Poplicola, whose name I was not familiar with at all, but he was a, a great lawgiver of Rome. Uh, Plutarch's lives, as we've discussed before, were written sometime in the late 1st, early 2nd century AD. Plutarch was Greek, but there were, it consisted of 23 parallel lives, um, one Greek, one Roman, from which he would uh, draw comparisons specifically of, of character and morality as much as from history. As we mentioned before, some, some of the lives have also been lost. I'm going to discuss Solon, the lawgiver of Athens, who lived uh, from about 630 to 560 BC. He was a poet and intellectual. He studied under, um, and he was, he was a merchant. Um, took popular rather than uh, philosophical tone in most of his poems, which Plutarch attributes to his, his life as a traitor. Um, most famous for having presented a series of laws to Athens, which were written. Um, he was accused once that, uh, well, he was laughed at for imagining that written laws, which are like spiders' webs, which would catch the weak and the poor that are easily broken by the mighty and rich. At the time, uh, Athens was split into three main factions. Um, The hill quarter, which favored democracy, uh, the plain, which favored oligarchy, and the seaside people who favored a mixed sort of government. Um, None of them were able to gain power. And somehow, it seems that based on his reputation for wisdom, they all agreed that uh, they would be subject to Solon's um, decisions on on what form of government and what laws should be based. Um, One of the ways he achieved consensus was um, there was a great deal of debt um, among the poor to the rich, obviously, but uh, there was also the practice of debt bondage and slavery. Um, People were also allowed to or could be required to sell their children in order to pay their debts. And one of the key principles of Solon that um, 
that appealed to the people was that he was going to eliminate debt. Um, you can certainly see the echoes today with the student loan debacle, but uh, in any event, what he actually did, apparently, well, according to some sources, he he uh, abolished the debt. According to others, he simply uh, inflated the currency, so he made it much easier to uh, pay off the debts. But he abolished the uh, debt slavery. He also repealed all of Draco's laws. The, the term draconian, of course, is still in use in English for uh, as a byword for severity. Um, Basically, for Draco, all um, all penalties were death. And when he was once asked why he made death punishment for most offenses, he replied, small crimes deserve it, and I have nothing higher for greater crimes. Solon's laws in general um, for, are, are quite strange to the modern ear. Um, he, he forbade uh, people to speak evil of the dead. He... Um, forbid the practice of dowry. He regulated women um, in terms of uh, what times they could go out, how much clothing they could own, permitted only olive oil to be exported. Um, and it's, again, just very strange to the modern ear. But interestingly enough, having promulgated these laws, he left town. He decided that uh, they would need 10 years to live with his laws, and then he would come back. He, uh, and that was when there was the famous story of his visit to King Croesus of Lydia, the richest man in the world. And he lectured him that uh, no man should be considered happy until he's dead. Uh, Solon eventually went back to Athens and saw his, his carefully crafted democracy overturned, and uh, Pisistratus became a tyrant. Um, I guess you know, emphasizing his own point that uh, that you cannot be considered happy until your career is over. So, Tom, what are you going to tell us about Poplicola, the Roman? Uh, sure. So, uh, once again, Richard, this was not a Roman I was familiar with before, but he was from, uh, uh, born Publius Valerius and given the name Poplica, Poplicola. Sorry. He was one of four Roman aristocrats who overthrew the monarchy and became a Roman consul. He was a colleague of Lucius Junius Brutus in 509 BC, who is, which is traditionally viewed as the first year of the Roman Republic. According to Plutarch, he was from the tribe of the Valeri, who were of the Sabine region. And for those historians listening will remember the rape of the Sabine women as one of the founding myths of the city of Rome. Uh, and, or the Roman uh, 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 state, that occurred during the reign of uh, Titus Tadius, who was a contemporary of Romulus. So that takes you really back to the founding of Rome itself. But he worked for the peaceful unification of both peoples. More on that later. Before holding public office, Valerius had often spoken in defense of the plebs, the common people of Rome. Valerius was one of the leaders of the Roman revolution against the monarchy, winning over public opinion while the king was campaigning away from the city. The king uh, was deposed, or rather they were deposed, the king was deposed, and uh, Lucius Superbus was the seventh and final king of Rome. In place of the monarchy, uh, the Roman leaders established a republic together with the office of consul. Brutus and uh, Colatinus were elected as the first consuls. 
After the death of Brutus, Valerius was the sole uh, surviving council member. He had replaced uh, Calentus. When Valerius began construction, and this is an interesting story, uh, uh, on the top of the Velian Hill, uh, those were, people who remember Rome had seven hills, and uh, it would be conspicuously visible from the Senate House, a rumor began to circulate that he intended to reestablish the monarchy with himself as king. At once, Valerius stopped the building of the house and demolished the structure in a single night. Addressing an assembly of the people, he said, I've just liberated Rome bravely, but now I'm slandered like being either uh, Aquilus or Vitellian. I'm the bitterest enemy of former kings, so I shouldn't be accused of wanting to be a king. In order to allay suspicions, he caused his house to be built on the foot of a hill rather than its peak. In later times, in later times, the Temple of Victory stood in the same place, which still exists today. For his actions in deference to the people of Rome, Valerius summoned, or rather received, the surname Oblicola, which means one who courts the people. Before impending elections, Valerius filled up the ranks of the Senate, which had been severely reduced as a result of the revolution and subsequent war. As counsel, he promulgated new laws, including the right of appeal from decisions of magistrates and demanding the forfeiture of all rights of anyone convicted of plotting to restore the monarchy. Oplicola was elected counsel three more times. He was the first ever counsel to be reelected four times. Uh, his, uh, he died in 503 BC, shortly after passing the consular office to his successors. Livy, the other famous Roman historian, recorded that at the time of his death, he was considered by universal consent to be the ablest man in Rome and in the arts of peace and war. He had little money, so he was buried at the public charge and was mourned by Roman matrons. By decree, each citizen contributed quatrons for the funeral. The remains of Pope Licola were buried within the city of Rome on the Valian Hill. His death was mourned for an entire year. After Pope Licola, uh, many noted members of the Valerian uh, generous Genswiss were buried on that same spot. He had an interesting legacy for the United States, Richard, in the Federalist Papers, uh, of course, written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. The three statesmen used the alonym Publius in honor of Pope Licola's role in establishing the Roman Republic. You mentioned Cincinnatus, and now we have another Roman uh, honored by our founding fathers in America. Also, following the Spanish-American War, a piece entitled The Duty of the American People as to the Philippines was published under the pseudonym Pope Licola. The author recommended the development of the Philippines to improve the lives of Filipino people and has went to uh, further, as well as to further trading, uh, American trading interests in, in the Orient. Uh, really no word on what Pope Licola might have thought about uh, that phase of American imperialism. But he was a fascinating character. Uh, I thought a lot uh, to digest. And it, once again, it was not someone I was uh, familiar with, but it introduces another theme that we will see throughout this series, Richard, which is the anti-monarchical uh, uh, strand in Rome, uh, literally up to Julius Caesar. And even with Caesar, he was uh, assassinated uh, because many felt he wanted to become uh, the monarch of Rome. So uh, 
and that went on for almost 500 years, the Roman Republic. So lots to uh, to take in, um, and certainly from uh, your recitation of Solon, he is one of my great heroes from Greek history, and uh, I think uh, lots uh, to talk about. You want to move on to uh, some some of uh, Plutarch's comparisons? Yeah, this is the first uh, duad for which we have uh, Plutarch's comparisons. One of the things he points out is that there, there's something Publicola was was actually imitating Solon in some respects, um, and that if he, he claims that if Solon was the wisest of men, Publicola was the most happy of men because he was privileged to win and... Uh, the esteem and honor of the Roman people uh, until his death, thereby proving the uh, the adage that no man should be deemed happy until he dies. Uh, incidentally, the being buried inside the city walls was, to my knowledge, a unique honor. Um, most of the uh, the tombs were along the roads going outside of the city. So, what what other comparisons did you uh, think that Plutarch made that were interesting? Well, Richard's interesting. You mentioned that. Uh, Publicola enhanced uh, or uh, drew upon Solon for inspiration. Uh, Plutarch actually saw uh, an interesting uh, reverse parallel, which was that um, Publica enhanced the fame of Solon because uh, Solon uh, did away with uh, the monarchy in Greece in the form of a dictator, uh, Draco, Draco, and the same was done in Rome. And uh, Plutarch uh, wrote that he took away the arrogant powers of the consulship and made it gracious and acceptable to all, and that uh, the laws that Solon uh, put forward really uh, put the appointment of the rulers in the power of the people and gave defendants' rights and appealing to the people uh, in the form of the Greek jurors, another great gift from the ancient Greeks uh, to the uh, United States. So it was uh, interesting that uh, uh, Plutarch saw that they both, uh, I don't want to say fed off of each other because they lived many years apart, or at least far distances apart, but that they could influence either uh, their own image because of the prior one, or that they could rehabilitate and make more famous the prior one because of what uh, the second one did. So that I thought that was a very uh, interesting insight. And as to um, kind of your thoughts on Solon, he, he once again is is has always been a great hero of mine for moving the Greeks uh, to something other than a monarchy. But he was uh, much more than simply a, a politician. Uh, he instituted the constitutional reform you talked about, also the economic reform in terms of the cancellation of the debt. And as you correctly noted, Richard, uh, this is something we're talking about today, uh, over 2,500 years later. Uh, he also instituted uh, moral reform. So uh, he had a wide variety of reforms for uh, the Greek Republic and the Greek city-state that uh, uh, are, are really still with us today his reforms with basically without a defender in Athens. And that's why after his return, Pisistratus was able to become a tyrant again, whereas Publicola defended his own reforms and, uh, and in Rome and uh, came to a happier 
ending. But yeah, I think I think this is this is a very interesting comparison, um, the history in particular of uh, of Athenian democracy is interesting because I think, and this is total speculation on my part, that one of the reasons he left was one thing we will see throughout this is the envy was a driving uh, characteristic of these great men. And in Athens, that usually took the form of ostracism. Um, and I, I think that's probably one reason Solon left town was to avoid the unpopularity and basically being put into a forced exile. He, he, he accepted a voluntary one. What, let, what lessons in leadership do you think these men have for today? Well, Richard, uh, I'm not sure that I would speak directly to leadership, but maybe uh, a little bit different focus, which is many of the issues that they faced we're still debating today. And I talked about, you, you and I both talked about debt forgiveness. Uh, that's obviously one. Uh, the tyrancy, um, whether you consider January 6th uh, an attack on the uh, American democracy or not, uh, we, we have certainly had those discussions, uh, political discussions, I think, in this country over the past year. And uh, they're still kind of ongoing now. And then the... Um, Economic reforms are still being discussed, constitutional reforms, and even uh, moral reforms. So many of the questions that Solon uh, either addressed or were posed to him in ancient Greek before 500 BC, literally we're still dealing with today. And they were certainly also there um, for Pope Licola as well. And uh, here, uh, he, he as, as Plutarch noted, uh, as being really one of the uh, true heroes of ancient Rome, he was a hero to the founders of our country, the founding fathers, and the use of his name or his pseudonym for the Federalist Papers. Uh, I mean, you and I have both read at least some of the Federalist Papers. We studied those in law school, and they are still actually— good counsel today for uh, an informed constitutional debates today. So I might really point more towards their legacies than uh, some of their leadership skills, but it shows that, that I think that leaders need to be prepared to answer what, what really may be some basic questions of, of either uh, corporate world, civilization, kind of uh, uh, popular culture, social justice, Many of those questions are we're still debating today, and the, the debates may take different shapes and forms. But I think if you inform yourself of the debates of the past, it will help you uh, not only understand uh, current history, but help you to formulate your own views that then you can articulate as well. That's a really interesting comparison because uh, Plutarch, of course, was writing after the collapse of the Roman Republic and in a period of... Uh, of empire and emperors and totally undemocratic rule, even though the figurehead Senate still existed. Um, so the comparison with the, the struggles of American Republican democracy at the moment is, is a very interesting one. And I hope we have more people like Publicola to uh, come along and help us out. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this, uh, excursion into some ancient history and, and its application to the modern world as well. 
And we hope you'll listen next time when 12 o'clock high. For now, this is Richard Lummis and Tom Fox signing off. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. I hope you will join us again next week where we take up the Greek Pericles and the Roman Fabius Maximus in episode three of our series on Plutarch's Lives. This series on Plutarch's Lives on 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.